Hey, this is Patrick Lippo, uh, director of X-Men Legends, and uh, welcome to a special episode of Power of X-Men. During the whole making of X-Men and the casting of X-Men, I was there in the production office. Remember, you don't need to scream for help when Banshees are around. Was it supposed to be Jean or was it supposed to be Madeline? I drew that image and a deliberate hint at things to come. What makes Marvel Legends so special? Just the partnership with Marvel, you know, continuing to work with Jesse Falcon. This is your special guest host, Mr. Sinister. <laughs> you, know, you would never put Storm in a ponytail. That would be well, weird. You could, but that would be weird. <laughs> but giving it to Jean kind of made her the girl next door that everybody could talk to. When I met Stan, he was very gracious and and, and very kind. This is the Power of X Men podcast. I am your host, Dayspring. Hope you survive the experience. My guest today is someone really special. He has been a game developer since 1993 and has been fortunate enough to be involved with some great projects over the years, such as Dungeons and Dragons Online, Lord of the Rings Online, Dead Reach. But most importantly, he was the director of X-Men Legends 1, which was released in 2004 to critical and fan acclaim. Please welcome Patrick Lippo. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This is this is amazing. I mean, oh geez, 2004, like that long ago now. All right. I can't feel <laughs> my memory is. <laughs> I no, I'm right there with you. I still feel that it's 2004. <laughs> like, how are we in 2021? Right. Yeah, totally. Patrick, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Doing great. I got out of the house and drove around in the sun yesterday. Ah oh, man, you don't get a lot of those days these days. So uh and, uh, you know, Seattle weather works I, out. So. I agree with you. It's I'm in New York. And as we were discussing before we began, it's been so dreary and cold here. And this is the first time I've seen the sun since 2020. Oh, man. <laughs> so I want to ask you so many questions about X-Men Legends. I know many people in the X-Men community are dying to hear your responses to some of them, but I want to get to know you a little bit more. And I'm curious, what, what was the first video game you ever played? Wow. Is this, is this like a test of how old I am? Because uh, <laughs> I can give you some deep cuts. Oh, uh, give me a deep cut. Deep Bring cut. it. I, I'm, I'm pretty old myself, so okay. I, can, well, I can give a deep cut as well. I don't remember how, I don't know, remember uh, uh, what order these are. So I got to give two things. One was uh, my dad used to work uh, at GE in the 70s and he brought home like a little briefcase with a printer on it. There was no monitor or anything. And this was like a, a terminal where I could play Colossal Cavern. And he set me up. <laughs> I was six or seven or something like that. Right. And I was like, go east, you know, take key, all that stuff. So it was that. And, and you could kind of see what happened by just looking at the printout because it was just pooping out paper everywhere. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> the other thing is, um, like, I had friends who had Atari, like, with more money than our family. So uh, uh, I, I saw it. But really, the first one I played, we had one of those standalone little uh, TV pong things where, you know, it's just a thing to, a t- to the TV and a couple paddles. And it had two games, right? Like Pong and other pong I don't know. <laughs> <That's basically laughs> <it>. so <laughs> um yeah yeah so i'm i'm old officially um but actually it was cool to see that whole 
that whole industry, this whole thing, like start from the very beginning, honestly, it wasn't, you know, yeah, it was space war and stuff before I was really old enough to play anything, but, uh, I feel like I saw the whole thing that, you know, at least uh, uh, for popular culture. So that's pretty rad. Was it that curiosity that sparked your passion for getting into video games, seeing your dad bringing home that printer (laughs) with the handles and then playing Pong? I remember playing Pong with my mom. And that, you know, sparked, I didn't go into video games, but it sparked my curiosity to play things like Nintendo and Zelda. Those, when those games came out, those were sort of my coming of age with video games. Uh, I'd say the thing that really got me inspired was um, just a tiny bit after those two was um, uh, you go to bowling alleys or sometimes pizza places and they'd have video games, right? Uh, this is like era of Space Invaders and stuff like that. And Space Invaders is cool, right? You're playing it and all that <laughs> black and white. Again, very old person here. Uh, but here's the thing. I went, back to, I went back to that bowling alley a little later. You know, my parents took me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I want to play Space Invaders. It was color. And I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, pew, pew, shooting. And the aliens started coming down, right? It was Galaxian. And I had no idea it was a different thing. And I'm like oh my gosh, these things are evolving, you know, and, and uh, you know, how cool is that? So honestly, that was a big moment for me to see not just a, a, an example, but just to see how like things just kept evolving like super quickly at that time, right? There wasn't, there weren't a lot of genres. So like there was some new crazy new thing every time you turned around, you know, especially in the arcade heydays, the super early eighties there. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess just seeing all that sort of variety and, and, and again, like, there was one upmanship. It was sort of like, yeah, this is a better maze game. But, uh, you know, there were a lot of just really, you know, very different takes on the same thing. Even like like Centipede versus versus Space Invaders. I mean, what a different game, even though it's mostly the same thing. Right. So uh, it was really inspiring. I have to tell you, just listening to you speak right now, I miss going to Pizza Hut or the bowling alley and seeing an arcade right there and begging your parents for quarters or getting that dollar and yep. like that crumbled dollar and having to straighten it out, put it in like a machine that dispenses quarters and then just spend your entire Saturday night playing on these games with like completely like they were all different and complete strangers. You were just making friends. Yeah. Yeah. You just play against whoever and, you know, put the quarter up for the next, uh, <laughs> Next game and a little later, you know, Street Fighter and all that came where there was a little lot more uh, competitive. But uh, but really, you were just kind of like trying to show up the last person, you know, who yeah. just got there. You know, I, like I went in after somebody was got done in pole position and, <laughs> and like just wrecked. And then I was just like somehow this had this amazing game where I was like going full speed and like <laughs> everything. And I had no idea how I did so well, but they were just like, oh, my gosh, you know, behind me. So that was cool. So you were prodigious with video games since the start. All right. That was all right. (laughs) (laughs) And did you ever play the X-Men arcade video game? Oh, yeah. 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 There was a there was the full like, you know, six, the big wide one. Right. You play the you play the narrow one. Yeah, it's okay. But you get the you get the big wide one with the three screens and the and the six controllers. Uh, yeah, that was a that was a real big one with me. Um, it was there was one in uh, my uh, uh, college union. Uh, go down down there and play a few quarters every pretty much every lunch. So that was a that was a great one. That actually was a 
that was right around when I was getting into comics too. So it was a, it was a good kind of time to, you know, really be into the X-Men, learn about them and see how fun it was to play Nightcrawler. So yeah. Was Nightcrawler your character of choice? Yeah, I think Nightcrawler is probably my, if you're wondering my favorite X-Men is, uh, that's, pro- that's probably the guy. Oh, you know so, that question yeah. was going to come. Oh, yeah, yeah. You Always played that. Nightcrawler. He was kind of way over. He wasn't as bad as, uh, uh, I don't remember who was way over on the left where he had to play kind of like <laughs> hanging off the edge, but uh, he was kind of off to the side. I, I love that you mentioned you were playing the X-Men arcade game in your student union, and I don't want to jump ahead to my questions about X-Men Legends, but when Activision was sort of rolling out X-Men Legends, my student union had someone from X-Men Legends there. It could have been X-Men Legends 2 now that I'm thinking about it. Okay. But there was someone there with like a clunky, like, cause I'm old too, a clunky like TV with an Xbox set up to it. And you could like test drive playing X-Men Legends there. I don't know what that was about. It was definitely for Apocalypse because I wow. even got the shirt that oh, they okay. gave afterwards. Oh, this guy, this guy, right? Yeah, it was, uh, right there. That was two, oh. that was two. Listeners, he has X-Men Legends 2. Uh, is it Rise of Apocalypse, I believe is the title? Uh, Rise of Apocalypse. It's Rise of Apocalypse. He has a poster right behind him and it's Apocalypse's face with his Signed, eyes open. You know, <laughs> yeah, a friend, uh, a friend from the studio set me up with that. I wasn't on, I wasn't on X-Men 2, uh, but, uh, you know, gotta have the signed stuff. I... I want to know. So Nightcrawler is your favorite X-Man. Oh, yeah. What was the earliest memory you had of the X-Men? And I know you kind of came into comics late, as you just mentioned, but were the X-Men ever, can you remember when you first heard about them? Were they ever in the background of your life as you were coming of age and growing up? Did you read any of the comics? Uh, I had a friend in the in the 80s who collected, like full-on collected comics, you know, during that sort of, uh, uh, you know, rise of that era. Um with, uh, you know, um, Killing Joke and, and, you know, all these, you know, that sort of like Batman was hitting it big and, and the X-Men were, you know, had, had a really, you know, really amazing run there. And, uh, but he was like pretty hardcore. He had, a, he had a, like a big wall where he had like little mini shelves and everything was in, in like Mylar bags and the full deal. Um, so I wasn't able to read those, but he had a bunch of trade paperbacks. And so I was able to read some of some of the X-Men there. And uh, that was really cool because, you know, I think I had, you know, I'd heard a few of the, of the few of the characters at some point, you know, people might mention it or something. And um, but I didn't know Wolverine was or anything like that. I, I can't remember what my first X-Men character I knew was. So but uh, um, but yeah, you know, I was kind of, I was kind of able to collect vicariously. With that guy. And then when I got to college, that's when I started buying it, which when like the whole universe started buying comics and there were 65 covers for every release and, you know, new two two new X-Men a week, you know, pretty, pretty <laughs> easily for a little while there, I swear. That and Batman. So I bought all the all of it, the terrible stuff, everything. So I've we've had some really great guests on these on this podcast and we all talk about the nineties and that X-Men boom. It was, we had the Lee Waltz who created the X-Men animated series. And they were talking about how they were just pitching a show about the X-Men and they wanted it, you know, to have a lot of heart. So they approached it as writers first and like, then they became fans. So they would have Marvel like fax over all of this information about the X-Men. And they were like, shot at how much like continuity and everything was going on and how the x-men were just exploding in the 90s with that jim lee redesign 
Oh yeah. Yeah. That was an amazing time. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there was a lot of, a lot of junk that came out during that era too, but, uh, but really, you know, that new series with Jim Lee with a big, big long gatefold cover and, and just the, the look. Uh, yeah. Just, I don't know. There's something about that time for sure. You know? So what did you study in college? I was a computer science guy. Okay. And how did you end up working in video games? Did you know you wanted to work in video games or did it, was it a fortuitous thing that you kind of fell into it? Well, there was a lot of luck involved. Um, I mean, you know, before I went to college, I was really into the Apple II and I'd write, you know, little game programs on that, you know, like turn-based stuff. I'd adapt complicated uh, um, pen and paper games uh, to (laughs) be able to be played. Um, you know, even like a uh, car wars, I was a big game, a, a fan of the tabletop game car wars and trying to convert things to, to that was really big. So I was really into computers at that point, but really, you know, you go to C- you go to CS and, and into computer science and, and you just assume when you get out, you're just going to be working for some insurance company or like Microsoft at the time was doing a little, really heavy recruiting around the time I was graduating, which I guess would have made me a lot of money right back in the <laughs> early nineties, but uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, but yes, uh, it happened to be that a, a local company, like I'm reading through the student newspaper and, and like a, like a company called Raven software, just like put a little tiny ad in there. It's like, do you like, do you like video games and like the program? And so I, uh, I went there and uh, you know, as you do, uh, or, you know, you think you do uh, when you do interviews, um, for for like professional thing I, I you know i got a suit i had none of this stuff so i was like all super decked out in my like nerd ass suit and 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 like went and uh uh to this interview <laughs> and they told me later i looked like a banker uh but uh <laughs> turn out i didn't get the job this was actually mid mid semester so i wasn't I wouldn't have been able to start for a while anywhere but i just checked back with them like several times and kind of did some stuff on my own um you know, to kind of prove what I could do, um, made some more prototypes, game prototypes and stuff like that. And then, yeah, they finally just needed some help. And I, there I was. So that was, but again, this was in the middle of, this was in Madison, Wisconsin, like the middle of Wisconsin, like, you know, who knew there were any game developers there, you know, like no real people ever made video games anyway. Right. Like, it, <laughs> like back then you like, it's like who designs toys or roller coasters, right? It's not, there's some leprechaun somewhere. There's no actual real, people that have that as a job right so um so it was pretty cool to actually meet people that made them and then be able to become one myself one of the interesting things about the video game industry that i love i used to work at harper collins and we published a book about video game making uh called blood sweat and tears by jason from kotaku and he really just gets in the thick of it that some video games, you don't even know, even after they're announced, if they're ever going to get done or finished and what an intense process it is and how, how laborious, you know, the work is and it's driven by passion, but it's a lot of effort and work on your part. <laughs> Fans are just enjoying it. We don't fucking care where it came from. So I'm curious, you start at Raven Software, which I can still picture that logo, the eye of that Raven. <laughs> oh, yeah, love that logo. How, so, so walk me through your career from when you started at Raven to how you became director of X-Men Legends. Now, and, I, and, and can you also clarify, because I've seen 
the title kind of interchangeable based on websites. I've seen project lead and I've seen director. Are those synonymous or are they very different things? I think they're pretty close. Um, honestly, that job is so different from company to company um, and project to project. So um, yeah, officially I was project lead and there was another uh, a co-project lead, Rob G, who uh, um, he came on board as a, as sort of just supplement my work um, in, uh, in the last year. Um, and he, you know, he's a comics encyclopedia, right? It was just a great resource to have. I love that. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, when I started, I was, uh, you know, lead program on a couple projects, did a little program managing, think I was going to go in management that, nah, that management sucks. So uh, I uh, <laughs> went back to lead programming and that, that third lead programming gig was um, uh, Heretic 2. So I got to do a lot of third person combat and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it's like the arc, the ideal arc, I think for, for people, especially at that time, or, or just, just in general is like, all right, yeah, cool. I'll put in my time. I'll, I'll, you know, work my way up and get a better and better position. And, and then maybe someday I'll be able to be, you know, project lead on a project. Right. <laughs> so finally, you know, um, the studio heads were just like, okay, yeah, yeah. You can be a uh, project lead on the next project and, and just, you know, we'll just have to go through a whole, you know, with pitches and try and figure out um, the right thing to make. And then, you know, you're the guy. And I'm like, Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. All right. You know, super excited about it. And this was 1998 got done with heretic two. And uh, we tried a bunch of bunch of different ideas, uh, um, made some prototypes for like a, a third person D and D thing. This was before, this is really before I think the first Baldur's Gate even where D&D as a property was sort of like, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe someone will make a good game of that someday. And, and uh, it's funny, there were a bunch of, there were a bunch of pitches that we made. Uh, I, I went through probably like a hundred pitches from 98 to 2001 when really that's when I think it got greenlit and like full on full go. Can, can you clarify what you mean by pitches? Do people come to you with the pitch. I, I, the only way I can liken it in my head is sort of like as a book publisher, people would submit their pitches for a book or a manuscript, or are you creating the pitches and you're going out to people with ideas for a game for their properties? There's, there's a lot of different things. There's it generally, nobody ever takes a pitch from outside this idea where I think there's like this myth that you know like people like show up with their like i'm an idea guy here's my idea check it out don't you want to make this game like that never ever 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 happens um but uh you know those concepts yeah the idea that like i alone would be the person to come up with the pitch and like oh this is what we're gonna do i mean that's that's great and i i, I know there's some really you know um strong directors uh um in the past that have kind of driven it that way but in this case especially coming out of Heretic 2. So nobody, nobody is the idea guy because like ideas are, are dime a dozen, right? So, um, but um, in the case of like pitching games, coming out of uh, Heretic 2, um, actually, um, we at Raven, we were, just, we were just acquired by Activision a little bit before Heretic 2. And we wanted to make sure that there was something that, that Activision was super excited about, that people in marketing were on board and everyone was just like, yeah, make this thing, right? Not like, okay, well, we'll see how it goes, right? So, um, so we, were, we were really trying to be as, as diligent as we could to come up with, you know, um, themes really exciting and types of games and, you know, like fighting games we toyed with, you know, straight RPGs, shooters, all that stuff. Um, 
But a lot of them were like one sheets that I would write or even just small blurbs, like a couple paragraphs for, for different ideas. And, and we'd, you know, have like a list of them and, and kind of pick some out and then, you know, maybe run some by uh, um, Activision. Um, some of them came from other people in the company. That's actually really common, even, even, you know, in any place, really, even if there's like a thousand employees, I think sometimes there's just some ideas that just get some traction because there's somebody that's got a really good idea or, uh, you know, really strong personality, or they can really get people excited about something. Like Cheryl um, in accounting, it's like, we should do this. And you're like, yes. Yeah, well, I worked on one game or where it was like, yeah, some, some person from the financial like department or something like that that did a pitch. Not X-Men Legends, but um, it happens, you know. Um, and that's cool, right? So, um, so it's different to really come up with a pitch versus like actually moving forward and making a game. But yeah, in this case, uh, uh, yeah, there are a lot of write-ups and a lot of writers from other people. And, you know, we went through ideas for like Greek legend before God of War and, and uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, Lord of the Rings will never be a big property. Harry Potter. Oh, Harry Potter will never be a big property. Who knows? Who has a crystal ball? Um, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. You don't have a crystal ball when you're doing these things, especially something like Lord of the Rings. After 1998, you had no idea it was going to take off. Same with yeah. the Harry Potter. They were just really great books. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and so they were, they were great to pitch, but yeah, like, again, we wanted to just make sure everyone was just like, you know, let's do this. So, um, so yeah, um, in the end, I don't even know where it came from, but a pitch for X-Men Legends uh, um, was floated to us and we were just like, okay, do we want to do this? And We'd always wanted to make a full-on RPG. I mean, Raven's history is Black Crypt, you know, sort of a, you know, classic more uh, uh, dungeon crawler. Uh, Shadowcaster was still pretty RPG-ish. And then we got more into action games and did stuff that was sort of RPG light, um, like uh, Mage Slayer and Take No Prisoners um, after that. But yeah, you know, RPG is definitely a big thing that, that, that Raven was into. Comic books, of course, you know, there are a lot of fans there. So uh, that was one we really wanted to jump on and uh, and go with. So what did the X-Men Legends pitch look like when you first looked at it? <laughs> That's a funny one. I mean, I know I've told this story a few times in the past. Um, uh, the, the original X-Men Legends pitch was a uh, it was it was a full on turn based Final Fantasy VII experience. Like it was like really? X-Men line up on the left side, right? There's three of them. And then there's, you know, some enemies on the other side. You, you know, you scroll through attack, attack, block, you know, whatever, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to cast a power, you know, menu opens up, sub menu, you know, uh, Wolverine's claw powers, you know. Thank AV you for not C doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it could be an amazing game. Um, it just wasn't really, like there weren't enough, people like I, I was I was in the I was getting in in the Japanese RPGs at the time and I played a lot of the old school American RPGs like Wizardry and all this stuff back yeah. in the in the 80s um but that sort of uh, JRPG style was pretty alien to a lot of the people in the company and it just, so it just didn't feel right and we all I think we all just wanted to kind of get in and make you know a tap or action roots and make a game that was really something that we you know built on our strengths so that was really how that evolved it evolved really quickly I I was a little dubious. I'm like, really? You know, I, I asked people at Activision Corporate, I'm like, you're really into that? You really want this, you know, as a turn-based <laughs> thing? And they're like, yeah, sure. And then I was like, went back to the team and we talked about it and we kind of slowly kind of broached the topics of, you know, kind of bringing in action and stuff like that. And they were, 
I think in the end they were over the moon on it, right? Because I don't know even if a lot of folks there were super familiar with that genre. So uh, it just turned out to be the right choice. So you have the pitch, you sort of have a vision for the game and how you want it executed. Where do you go after that? How does Marvel get involved? How do I get involved? Well, I mean, you know, I, luckily uh, Activision already had a relationship with Marvel. Um, and uh, I think their first game was, right, I, I think they, they published the game, uh, uh, X-Men fighting game, right around 2000 when the X-Men movie came out. Yeah, the Mutant Wars, I believe. Uh, it was, it was uh, Mutant Academy. I Mutant think. Academy, there oh, we go. Yeah. So uh, they had a relationship. And also 2000, I think, was when the uh, Neversoft uh, Spider-Man game was out, too. So they had yeah. established their uh, relationship with uh, Marvel there. They were even toying around with a Fantastic Four game. So there were a lot of sort of Marvel relationships already in place. Um, and... Uh, you know, so they even had, you know, they had a person in place who was kind of the Marvel liaison. So another uh, uh, TQ Jefferson, uh, he's just, uh, once again, another uh, uh, encyclopedia of comics knowledge. It's really great to have people like that, right? Where you, you just kind of like get them on the horn. You're like, oh, we kind of need something to fill in this. And they're like, what about this character? You know, it was a classic from issue 236, you know, page seven. Like, cool. I, I didn't know about that one. So you know, it's, it's hard to have somebody who knows all this stuff because there's so much, so many years to pull from. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a question actually I have later down the line that I want to ask you about, but let me, let me ask. So your project lead on this, how do you go about building the game then? Like what does day one look like? <laughs> Sorry. Well, that was a funny one. Cause we, we were, um, we got it approved, but there was still there was still a lot going on at Raven. So that first year was a really slow burn of, of investigating what engine we wanted to use. We had never made a console game before, aside mm -hmm. from a, a, an attempt at a port of an old game that, uh, to the PlayStation 1 way back in the day. Um, so, and we needed to make a cross-platform. Uh, cross we wanted to be on GameCube and Xbox and PS2 and that stuff. That's just hard. Uh, oh, so, yeah. um, especially the especially back then, it was it was really really tough to uh, ship on all three prod uh, consoles simultaneously. So there was a lot of like technology investigation, and like we started to secure like writing and and uh, kind of hash out the story like that, and get you know basically there was there was you know I wrote probably twenty incarnations of of design docs that iterated through kind of ideas we had from even the earliest semi-turn-based stuff that, you know, I was talking about before too, you know, what the action experience would be like, um, what powers, what characters, all that stuff. So there's a lot of uh, paper design. There's a lot of meetings. There's a lot of discussion. There's a lot of interacting with Marvel and figuring out what we can do and what we can't. Right. Um, <laughs> but then on top of that, um, we're all helping out ship games like uh, uh, Jedi Outcast and Soldier of Fortune 2 and uh, which is great. Right. I mean, you know, uh, other, if, if I didn't help on, out on those other games, I wouldn't have been able to make a game between 98 and 2004. Uh, so honestly, like, you know, you're, you're, you go to the office and your friends are all like working super hard on these projects. And you, you <laughs> Sounds know, like a madhouse. Like, yeah. So I just, I'm just like, where do you need some help? And that was, <laughs> <laughs> nice thing is I could kind of like do stuff that I thought was really cool. So that was a, a nice kind of pressure release while playing the waiting game of that early phase <laughs> where I'm waiting for the writing to come back and all that. So I'm, 
I don't know too much about the video game industry other than, you know, the book I, I helped work on back when I was at Harper. So you, once you have the pitch and you're moving forward with it, the first step is the writing and mapping out like the characters and their powers and then settling on the game engine. Mm-hmm. Is that it? So that's a good part of it. Yeah. Okay. So what do you guys, and I'm curious about the game engine game engine for X-Men legends. Is that something you built from the ground up or do you recycle it from other projects? Well, uh, if, if, and we if I'm were... messing up the terms, I am so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, um, heck, I don't even know if anyone ever calls the same thing, the same thing at different companies. So, uh, you know, there's probably a million terms for everything. Yeah. And in our case, if we, if we had been more experienced in, in consoles, we might've had some tech that we would have just brought forward. But in our case, we were sort of starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Unreal, you know, some engines you may have heard of, like Unreal yeah. and, and, and uh, games like that, um, were really still in their fledgling state of supporting console. So we had to check those out, um, you know, even even think about using the Quake engine, right? Like some of these, some of these other game engines um, out there. And uh, so in this case, we licensed, uh, we licensed one that... Uh, um, it was recommended to us um, and that's all great, but really all it means is like, you have a way of putting a model on the screen, right? There's no game, there's nothing, you know, you just basically have a way of showing a scene, right? And maybe a way of like building stuff and then having it end up in the game. So so that's what an engine gives you, right? Not, not like a proto game, you're not, you don't have anything that runs around or any of that stuff. So. So, you know, we got the tech going and then we basically had to figure out, well, how are we going to make levels? How many characters can we get on screen? All right. Because that was one of the big things of the uh, early uh, of the early pitch was like, OK, it's going to be four X-Men on screen at the same time. It was always going to be four. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Four. Um, and then I know you had like some NPCs that would join in on some missions. Right. Well, it was four, but the thing is like to, th- those count against anybody you can put on screen. So mm-hmm. say like we could get 12 total characters on screen and have it still run reasonably well. Uh, That means, you know, two enemies for every one X-Men on the, on the field. So even that was kind of thin, right? You kind of want to, you know, love to have way more. Um, But, uh, but yeah, in those cases, like we just kind of figured out what we could do, what kind of game we could make and then prototype stuff, you know, combat, how are powers going to work? How are the buttons going to map, you know, and, Every console has a different button layout. So, you know, I, there's just a lot of investigation and stuff where you just don't even know where you're, you're going to end up. Um, so I'm glad we had that time to explore those things before really hitting, you know, production with like every, you know, all hands on deck. So you guys are drafting the script and I'm assuming you have to send versions to Marvel and they have to approve or not approve saying you can use these characters or not. Was magma always going to be the focal point of x-men legends well actually uh our original idea is we wanted we really wanted you to be able to feel like you like you know most of the characters have sort of understood uh the the way that you can build them and add powers to them was was um somewhat somewhat fixed right you kind of knew what wolverine could do and what cyclops could do (laughs) So we wanted to have a blank slate, like a build your own X-Men was really what we wanted, um, honestly. And, oh, uh, really? So, yeah, it would so we just could just be... plug in any power that we had and you could, you know, maybe 
you know, maybe you, you could still build those other characters, but you, you know, if like, okay, I'm going to go to my character and I'm going to make them be whatever I want. Right. So um, I could be day spring and I could give myself ice powers. For example, I would have just been like a build your own character. Yeah. And that would have been the, the focal point of the story, sort of how we view the X-Men and experience the world. Yeah. I mean, basically no matter what, uh, uh, it was a neat feature, but also it, it helped us to introduce the, you know, uh, the player to the, to the world, mm -hmm. um, you know, to have that blank slate where the, you know, they're like, I don't know anything about the world of mutants and the Xavier college and all that uh, mm -hmm. Xavier school and all that stuff. Um, you know, well, you know, you, you create, you create that character to basically be the, the viewer equivalent. Right. So, mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, we, uh, since we weren't in the end, Marvel wasn't interested in having us have that, feature mm -hmm. uh we chose M magma as that character and I, I can't remember what what drove that i knew like ultimate x-men uh i think used magma uh, they certainly at least uh, uh, gave us an example of what starting fresh would be right like pretend there isn't 30 years of baggage with every, you know like millions of different you know relationships and stuff that people have to navigate imagine everything's super clean and, and baggage light um you know, what would that experience be? Or, or the movies, of course, right? That was kind of, again, uh, um, I guess Rogue was was kind of the character that was the, the magma equivalent coming in and learning about everything with, with the viewer. Yeah, so in the movies, it was Rogue. In the X-Men animated, it was Jubilee. In X-Men, Pride of the X-Men, it was Kitty Pride. And even in the comics, you had Kitty Pride join the team, Jubilee later on. And, you know, in modern era, you have like Pixie and Armor. So I, I love that you chose Magma. It was just such a curious pick because Magma isn't Jubilee or someone like Kitty Pride, who on the message boards, I don't remember if this was true or not in like the GameStop or excuse me, the GameSpot message boards in like 2000 and like three, four, they were like, oh, they couldn't use Kitty Pride because Kitty Pride would ruin the boards because of her phasing ability. Like there was no way to, you know, render her on screen. We definitely would have liked to have had Kitty Pride. I mean, you know, she's kind of a fan favorite, um, not necessarily known by your, your average, average, uh, um, you know, casual fan, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that was really one of the first things, right? It's, oh, she can walk through anything. How do you, you know, keep her from just like, oh, we wanted the character, we want the player to go North and they just go East. Like what, <laughs> what happens? Right. But to be fair, Nightcrawler could have the same problems, right? Well, that was the, the argument I used to do too, as yeah. well. And people would be like, no, it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the and end, I agree felt, with you. We, we couldn't really do her justice in the end. Yeah. I think it would have felt kind of cheap. And even like think of the Capcom games where most of them, the characters were mostly just beating people up. And then like they had one power, which was just sort of a abstraction of their abilities that they could use occasionally, you know? And it's like, it wasn't really what we were after. Like you could probably do a kitty pride like that. Okay. And then she phases through and comes up behind somebody and does some phasing thing. You know, um, I don't remember what happens if she sticks your hand in someone's chest, if they like, it's just bad or they die. I don't know, but uh, God, they, I'm yeah, such that a terrible would... fan. I forgot. <laughs> no, they, the scene you're probably thinking about because it kind of published around the same time as X-Men Legends came out, maybe a little afterwards is in Phoenix End Song, where she has, um, her hand on Cyclops's heart. And he's, and she also did that with Emma and she could squeeze the heart if she wanted to and kill them. And it's <laughs> Kitty pride is so sad. Right? No, it's really great that you went with Magma. 
No, I mean, I, it's funny. Like I, I know like they, they, uh, they ended up putting Kitty in, in, uh, in two as an NPC. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I don't, I don't believe we ever, I don't know if anyone's ever done a Kitty Pride playable in, in the history of X-Men. Maybe, maybe I'm missing one, but, uh, I it's, think she uh, it's had to do well, you know? Yeah. I think in the superhero squad online, she may have been there. I'm going to fact. Oh, that had one. everybody, right? Like, yeah, that had like everyone. And like, I, I don't play any of the mobile app games, but maybe she's there, but I know what you're saying in like this console experience, we've never gotten that kitty pride, but all right. You know, this question was going to come and I'm sorry. Were there any characters that you wanted, but they were off the table? Uh, well, a lot of our early story stuff revolved around, um, Nick Fury and, and shield being involved. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was like a hands-off property. I think it was considered to be, I guess it was just attached to Avengers at the time. And, um, uh, you know, there's, there were even things where th- th- there were always lines we couldn't cross like, Oh, that character was like, you know, 51% in this series and only 49% in X-Men. So it doesn't count as an X-Men property. You know, <laughs> there are all sorts of reasons why we could use this character and not another. And Nick Fury was one of them. And this was before Iron Man and, and, you know, like Samuel Jackson and all that stuff. Um, but yet Nick Fury was really a compelling character that was really just starting to be on the rise because, he was in Ultimate X-Men, right? And he was kind of the, the glue that, just like in the movies, he I think in Ultimate, the Ultimate series, all the different Ultimates, I think Nick Fury was that character that kind of popped from, from series to series and kind of, you know, glued the whole universe together. So, you know, super attractive to use him, but uh, um, wasn't considered to be an X-Men property. And I guess, you know, even now, I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, Nick Fury never ended up in any of the Fox no. movies or anything, right? So there's, there's very strong rules about those things. Yeah, I used to work at Marvel back in 2006, 2007, and they were very strict about the characters and, you know, what jurisdictions they had and different lawyers and teams for them. So it's a, it, I appreciate that hierarchy and, and how they, you know, manage their properties because obviously it served them very well. So how did you guys go about selecting the final team i i think i know the answer it's you know who has a really great fun power set you know what what aren't we doing here but i'm just curious from your perspective how did you land with characters like emma who you know at the time was did not have her a presence in other media and x-men legends was the first time since morrison that she appeared in a video game and she was exploding at the time yeah, it's, um, you know, these are always a snapshot of the times, right? Like, so, you know, of course we knew we needed Wolverine and Cyclops and a lot of these iconic X-Men, right? Um, but yeah, when we were picking them out, it was really a combination of, of characters that were kind of in, in, the, in the public eye or maybe, maybe starting to get some love, you know, that they didn't have previously. Um, you know, so part of it's that and i th- i think magma actually cuz Ma- magma wasn't wasn't super new at the time but uh um I, I can't remember what was going on at the time but i remember magma just coming up as being a a good choice because of how she was being treated either in a regular series or in ultimate again trying to remember the yeah, chronology she, there she during that time was coming back in the comics and she yeah. had the new mutants history and she's a very beloved character and yeah. i love it by the way i love it i just remember thinking what a curious choice to lead with magma because that was like, boom, you know? 
that worked out. Yeah, it worked out really well again, as, as I was saying. And then in the case of Emma, yeah, I mean, new, new X-Men was out at the time, right? Yeah. And it's funny, like Grant Morrison's stuff was, oh. you know, cerebral and kind of weird, you know, and so like it directly as, as, a, as, a, as a game that we would, or sorry, a storyline or world that we would try to recreate would be tough because there were characters with just weird powers, right? I mean, there, yeah. there was the dude with the chicken head, right? Like <laughs> peak. Yes. yes. <laughs> There's all sorts of unusual stuff in there. Um, and yet it was, it was, um, you know, it was, it was a, it was just, again, another time where the, uh, the, the series and the universe was reinventing itself and people yeah. were seeing it in new light. So um, yeah, Emma Frost was a cool character to bring from that. It was one that we, we just felt it was like, you know, throw something in that was kind of maybe unexpected and, and um, visually could be different you know and uh and honestly yeah we, we liked what was going on in new x-men as well so it was cool to to kind of pull that out and and bring it into in the legends a little bit you know not just draw only from the you know 60s and 80s but you know some some contemporary stuff so i remember seeing the first screenshots that came out of the game and you had the characters in their new X-Men okay. outfit. Oh. No, they look great. They're in their new X-Men outfit and they had more of a, and I'm sorry, I don't know the terms, a more of a 3D model and no cell shading. Right. I'm curious, how did you move away from Morrison's look and that sort of graphics to the ultimate looks and the cell shading? Yeah, I, I mean that's a that's a totally fair question. Um, in fact, I think people look at the uh, cell shading or at least the outlining that we did, outlining that we did as a like a nod to the rise of those. There was that style of game, right? That was starting to come out, or it was like anime looking, you know, um, yeah, like the Wind Waker ish. Yeah, and it wasn't really it wasn't really the intent. Um, in the end, what that experience was all about in terms of everything we chose visually both in the environment and on the characters uh, uh had to, everything to do with the camera angle right we knew we had to see everybody from a pretty high angle they were going to be not too big on screen because he wanted to see other x-men fighting it out right so so unlike a, a you know a third person game where it's over the shoulder where like you know the character takes up like two-thirds it's of, of the screen um in height or something like that, you know, these characters were, you know, maybe an inch tall on your TV or something like that. So, um, so that led to a lot of decisions that we made along the way. Um, and yeah, the first was really trying out the leather stuff. Cause you know, obviously the movies kind of set the tone. I mean, oh, yeah. wow. What a revelation that was at that time. And then, you know, obviously then that sort of look started to influence both new X-Men and then ultimate as well. Right. I mean, they, they kind of, we're a, uh, a half and half, right, in terms yeah. of a, a, that, that sort of leather look, but also spandexy looking thing. But in our case, um, we w when we just do the leather and you see it from that angle, um, everything turns a little bit into blobs. Um, and uh, so it's got to pop off the ground. You kind of got to know what each each uh, hero, uh, who each hero is, right, by by looking at them easily. So they need a really strong silhouette um their uh their limbs their arms and legs need to actually be um really readable so you know whether they're punching or slapping or or pushing or or you know uh shooting force beams or whatever um that you kind of really understand what's going on and uh so the leather wasn't really great for that um but even when we tried out the um the ultimate look i think 
I think there was even a period where we were like, okay, well, let's try the ultimate look. And it was better, right? You could see, you know, it was silly things you could identify heroes a little more distinctly. Um, and, uh, and again, it, it read more easily as uh, in the animations and everything. Um, but the outline really just made those characters just pop off the ground. Cause otherwise we would have had to almost have like the world's simplest floor <laughs> right <laughs> just so you could see the characters right and, and the problem with any game where you're looking down at at uh, a space from from high up is the floor is a huge chunk of what you see so uh so you know with all of that going on um someone suggested like okay well we can do this really super simple thing and try an outline and the outline was great it was like things yeah. immediately just you know were visible popped off the screen and and you know it it influenced our look a little bit, but I think in the end, it was it was really more uh, the other way around that uh, um, that our needs impacted the look more than our desire to have that style, you know. Well, I I remember being slightly disappointed when I saw the new style come in. I know, but but then I saw the trailer, and oh my god, seeing Gene do the Phoenix Force. The Sentinels, Rogue's voice saying, we got trouble. I proudly ate my words. And I don't know why the conversation in the early 2000s, when it came to like stuff like cell shading, was kind of like an icky conversation. People are like, oh, no, it's going to look like Wind Waker or, oh, it looks like they have middens. But now you look back on these games and it's exactly what you said. They're beautiful. Like X-Men Legends, like I think of Gene you know, and her telekinesis just popping on the screen there or Emma doing psychic bedlam and like all that around her. It just, it did really well. And it shows you guys were video game developers first and you knew what you were doing for that gaming experience. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm patting your back. I'm like, you were so oh, good. Oh, oh, well, thank you. you. No, I'm, so I'm glad good. it worked out. Honestly, uh, it was a bit nerve wracking and I, I do actually think it, you know, every, at the time we, it was still super important to, to uh, look great in a magazine, right. Cause getting yeah. magazine covers was, uh, oh, uh so key, right. But yeah, I don't think they actually looked as good as, uh, um, screenshots is you know in a glossy magazine than they really did when you actually had to play and oh, so on and so that was i could i could i i totally understood people's reactions but uh um again the reason we went down that road was might have been a different reason than people thought and i think a lot of people probably will forget that in the early 2000s the ultimate books were selling pretty well and the rumor you know was it was never confirmed of course but that the ultimate universe was going to become the main Marvel universe or something like that. And of oh. course that never happened, but it was being pushed by Marvel as we know we got decades worth of history in these books, but now you can pick up the X-Men and this first arc called the tomorrow people, and it'll be accessible and you don't need to know anything. And so I understand why you would have gone with that ultimate look because it sends a message that you don't need to know so much about these characters coming into this video game. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, some of those early screenshots, and I'm just curious about this because Colossus was in that black leather and he never got one of those costumes. And I'm just so curious, like, were you given the, blessing from Marvel to take creative leaps with their looks with these characters looks or were they like, no, 
you have to do X, Y, and Z. Because I mean, again, the final product was pretty accurate to the ultimate universe. But I'm curious, again, in when thinking of characters like Colossus, or maybe even Emma's alternate look where she had that white like snow gear which was fabulous oh, i'm just yeah. curious I got stories about that but yeah oh oh <laughs> so yeah no tell us tell us i'm just curious how that no fin- finish your question that's a that's a big segue to us now so <laughs> so i'm just curious did you have that blessing from marvel uh yeah you know you know i was talking earlier about how the there's all the rules to go to navigate and all that stuff and and i expected a lot more, uh, you know, careful negotiation about the looks and stuff like that. But honestly, flip to any year of, of any of these comic series, and you can see how these series reinvent themselves over and over and over again. And then one video game to the next, obviously the movies, um, you know, these comic book properties, you know, just like Batman has been in so many different incarnations there. Um, th- these things are in- reinvented all the time. So honestly, I don't think that there was any, um, you know, I-, I don't think Marvel really had had any interest in kind of throttling that back. There were a few things I think they wanted us uh, to explore. And obviously, if it looked terrible, they would have probably said, hey, that looks terrible, right? <laughs> um, and I think they were actually very much in... Um, positive about us using um ultimate x-men but i don't think that um i don't think there was any pressure of any kind um in that and and the nice thing is we you know that allowed our um our artists to you know make alternate outfits that were crazy weird and stuff like that so uh um you know try try giving their own flair we didn't have to literally do ultimate x-men or literally do brian singer's x-men we could just do our own kind of take that pulls from you know whatever we thought and you know, add an extra shoulder pad here. And <laughs> no Rob Liefeld going on. I don't think we added shoulder pads anywhere, but you know, it, it didn't have to be like pixel perfect to any particular version. Well, you gave us some great alternate skins. We got the OG X-Men skins, yeah, which were great. We had the Phoenix skin, which was huge. And now I'm going to ask about the Emma <laughs> alternate skin. Exactly. Right. So, um, so one thing about our relationship with Marvel, and this happens a lot when you're working with companies that have um, licensees, um, you know, they have a lot of balls in the air, a lot of juggling they got to do. And, and so often they'll just recommend that you work with a certain party that they already have a relationship or trust. In this case, this was um, our writers were Man of Action, which is a um, group of a collective of writers, Duncan Rouleau, Joe Casey, Joe Kelly, and uh, oh my goodness, I can't remember the fourth guy, but uh, I apologize. Um, but these guys uh, came up with, so we kind of had our early story, like way in that first first half year, right? We, uh, uh, myself and, and Rob G, again, our, our you know, big, big X-Men fan, um, we got together, we kind of made a story um, as a starting point. And then we handed it over to these guys and they completely transformed it. You know, they took it up. 25 notches and uh, um, took this story where, you know, it was mostly about Magneto. And in the end, there was like another character called Zeitgeist behind everything. So, uh, so the game, and again, forgive me if I don't get the story points quite right, but in the end, uh, Magneto wants to bring the asteroid down on uh, New York city, I think. And, um, and uh, basically act three was going to end where, Oh, he didn't quite do it in the asteroid hit. And then there was a whole act four 
where uh, uh, the asteroid had hit. This was years later and everyone's wearing like survival gear and the Brotherhood of Mutants have restyled themselves as like Greek, uh, Greek gods, <laughs> right? So I can't remember what Toad is. It was Blob and, you know, and, and like um, some, some of the heroes got transformed too. So um, I think Wolverine was some sort of like skeletal monster you had to fight in some labyrinth, you know, it was like, all sorts of crazy stuff going on. And of course, Bishop is involved and, and um, you know, so there was, you know, you have that whole time traveling hook um, sort of uh, age of apocalypse. Right. Um, and, and that was always something, uh, um, you know, so, something we started with and Marvel kind of steered us away from using age of apocalypse that way. Um, I think they, they were actually more into us getting into the onslaught series uh the onslaught timeline which i think was a, a little more uh, uh timely at the time oh i'm a huge onslaught fan so yeah, it was cool <laughs> but this, there was something about age of apocalypse that was so cool oh, and, yeah. and in the end uh so man of action wrote this whole thing where there was this whole fourth act where where again like you, you there's a wreck new york and that like the um the uh, what was it, the Meadowlands, the stadium in, in New Jersey was like a place where like there was a big arena there and you had to go and fight. Anyways, this whole thing. And then in a very short act five, you went back and, and managed to stop the asteroid. Anyway, this whole section obviously got cut. That um, sounds incredible. So that's, <laughs> so that's why we had Emma in that post-apocalyptic look. Yeah, that's the snow gear of Cyclops yeah. and uh, Wolverine didn't... Uh, um, I think uh, I think Gene had some. I, I I saw some of the outfits. I can't remember which one's shipped, but uh, but yeah, they had already built them some of these outfits, and uh, not a lot of content for it yet. Um, that's kind of why we felt it was a cut we could make. Um, it would have been so good, but uh, you know, you always got to ship a game, so uh, these these things happen. When Oops. when did you like kind of move forward with the pitch? What year was that? Uh two thousand one about. So you worked on the game for three years until it shipped. About, yeah. And then, so how, how much lead time do you have between sending the game off to be manufactured? Like, what's, like, what's the cutoff day? Is it like a month or two ahead of the pub date? Or uh, That's changed so much over the course of game development history. At the time, for a console title, you know, this is like, you got to make the discs and get it on the shelves. And there it is at Best Buy on opening day, all that stuff. It's like six weeks, I think, about. Oh, that's not as bad as I, I would have thought. Uh, it felt really long because uh, <laughs> uh, like PC games, I think you could get away with about a month. And then nowadays it's actually often very short. Digital releases, right? It's, you know, maybe yeah. a couple weeks to make sure nothing breaks. Everyone tests it while, while uh, you know, before it actually, you know, they flip the switch and it's a, it's available, you know. So I, I may have missed this, but why did that wonderful act four <laughs> get cut? Like, was it just timing? Was it just you wanted to streamline the story a little bit? Because dystopian future, going back in time to save it, that is a hardcore X theme. Yeah, well, that's kind of why we originally uh, went with it. I mean... In the end, what we were making was so ambitious in so many other ways, right? We were making a, you know, this this RPG with, you know, totally new type of gameplay with four characters on screen and all the character switching stuff. We were doing it for a console, our first console project, um, you know, technology we didn't know a darn thing about. So there were a lot of risks and uh, often the... Uh, 
often the philosophy of game development is like, you know, you get two really tough things. Like you got two tokens to spend on really hard things. Only two, right? And uh, that was that was two, right? And, we, and I, honestly, by having this this whole really extended storyline and everything like that, um, well, you know, uh, it felt it was sort of like a third. So in the end, like shipping it was really key. I mean, we originally wanted to have like nineteen playable characters. I think we ended up with fifteen um, in the end. Um, so we had to cut some characters along the way as well. So you know, these are things that people don't always know about. And luckily, if they're playing it, they don't. <laughs> You know, it, it, maybe hopefully they don't know the stuff that they didn't see, um, <laughs> you know, oh, except for 15, 17 years later. Right. So, oh, you know. my God, I cannot believe 15 years later, 15 years later. And I'm still such a major stand of your work. <laughs> and by the way, what you just said sounded so magnificent and grand, but I don't want to take away from the final product. Because the final product, when the X-Men arrive on that asteroid and Emma like mind controls Toad and you have that final battle and you have the setup for Apocalypse, it was so great. And so thank you for creating such a wonderful game in the end and for being ambitious and for wanting a third token. <laughs> I wanted it. <laughs> but okay, wait, I, I do have to ask, were, were there any characters who were approved but were cut in the end? Oh, uh, well, I know we cut, uh, let's see, I, I actually made a list. Uh, uh, Archangel, uh, I know we cut. Um, yeah. Bishop and Havoc, those were both Act 4 hard diehards. I don't think we we're even going to introduce them until Act 4. Um, Marrow as a playable character, um, I think also was, was one that we uh, um, did not make playable. I, I think they were just, in those cases, yeah, we were still able to use Marrow as a villain. Um, but there's a lot of work you have to do to make all the different levels of, of abilities and, you know, give yeah. it so that it's a, it's a character that can grow over time, like an RPG. Oh, I hacked X-Men Legends 2 on my PC and I like reskinned and I get it. You have to build those. Not that I'm comparing my at-home hack to what you guys were doing, but there is so much thought that goes into building these characters and their powers versus just having like a non-playable character that's just like on auto so yeah those were always those are always really fun to to drive around though like all the all the enemies were characters right so you know in our debug builds we could you know i could choose magneto and play magneto if i wanted to or whatever and i, I mean that's kind of why a lot of the villains made it over into i think i think in two yeah. if not ultimate alliance right those those characters started to, to come into unlockable status uh, but at the time we just uh wanted to make sure that uh all the characters had a even level of customizability and all that stuff you don't get with an enemy. So Archangel, Bishop, Havoc, and Marrow, those were the four that were cut. Oh, womp, womp. Yeah. Well, Angel, it, it was the wings, right? Like, uh, um, and it was, of course, going to be Angel and then Archangel in the act four. No! Right? Of course it was, right? Well, so he, this is a question I had later on in the interview, but let's just go into it now. So the website, when it launched, had all like the dark silhouettes of the characters and someone hacked it. I forgot what happened. Someone hacked it was where they were able to get all the images. So Angel was already on it. And uh, then yeah. later when it was revealed, you know, Jubilee's over, but you can still see her, you know, and behind her like Angel's wing because it was, you know, just pasted over her. Why in the end was Angel not? Because you're telling me Angel and then he would have been Archangel. That is badass. Was it, again, a, an issue of just being overly ambitious? You guys are already reinventing the wheel? 
or did you just think maybe a character like Jubilee would bring more to the table? Oh, geez, no. It certainly was not Angel being thrown over by Jubilee for any <laughs> any uh, uh, particular reason like that. I mean, and granted, Rob G. He was a he was a big Jubilee fan, so I think bringing Jubilee and in, both characters are great. All right, they're great. A lot. There's so many great characters there. Um, I think. Um, I mean, we, we, we cut these characters and we cut Archangel. That was a hard cut because we really did want Archangel. But um, again, you um, in terms of character complexity, uh, um, you know, that it, it was like a character, you know, with all the human parts and then a whole nother animated character worth of wings. Right. Oh, that needed yeah. to be able to do everything the wings needed to do. So that was that was really the big driver there. And I think that was the last cut uh, where we. We're like, oh, geez, well, we got to cut our Archangel. And I think at that time, we're like, Ross just getting a little thin. Who can we do? And so Jubilee was uh, uh, Jubilee <laughs> was uh, was another uh, was one we knew we could do pretty easily. Um, and uh, um, just figured, you know, well, let's let's just go with what we can do and do well. Um, and so we brought we brought Jubilee in there as, as just to kind of beef up the roster a little bit. again. She looked wonderful. She looked so wonderful. And she was part of my my team. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I, um, it's, I mean, that's the way that always works though. Usually the last stuff you build looks so much better than when you're starting off. So you know, <laughs> sometimes the characters you don't expect are the ones that really come off the best. Oh visually. yeah. And I'm sorry. I don't mean she was, she looks so much better in reference to what else was in the game. The game was beautiful, but I mean like her look. As <laughs> so she looks ugly to me, honestly, as a developer, <laughs> right? I'm just like, Oh, oh man, really? like, it came out. Okay. You know? I'm such a, like her yellow jacket. I mean, talking about what pops on screen and, her power effects were so great. Wait, let me just, I'm sorry. I am a big angel fan. Let me see if you can see. My room is a mess, but I don't oh, know if you can see it up All there. Right. Yeah. Right. Nice. How would he have turned into Archangel in the game if Apocalypse wasn't on there? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. I I'll give you the honest answer. I don't remember. <laughs> it was so long ago. I know know, someone would ask me, by the way, thank you so much because listeners, if someone would ask me what I was doing 17 years ago, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) We asked um, the director of Pride of the X-Men, which was that 30 minute, you know, TV show in the, in the eighties with Kitty Pride. I asked him an obscene amount of questions. I'm like, why wasn't Jean Grey on it? He's here like, I just don't remember why we, so I, I just want to apologize for asking these very meticulous questions. You've probably played the game more than I have at this point. (laughs) But what was it like implementing that four member gameplay experience? Because that inspired, you know, the rest of the series. Well, X-Men Legends 2 and then Marvel Ultimate Alliance, you know, and it's still being used today with Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. I mean, that was an industry game changer. It was hard. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the funny thing is like we, you know, it started with this aspiration that would have been very doable, right? This this turn-based thing that I was talking about. Um, And so, you know, that idea you're feeling the team just was there at the inception. It was really just up to us. It's like, well, we, since we were the ones that basically kind of started down the road of making it an action game uh, to turn it into something where you could still have the team. um, That was a, that was a pretty big deal. And honestly, we, we changed it up until geez, probably about six months before it shipped. Uh, It changed like, 
I don't think any of the screenshots, you go to Game GameSpot or something like that. I don't know if any of the screenshots, except for a very few, have the final interface, uh, you know, with the with the with the heads and stuff like in the final style it was. Um, the button, we, we did a bunch of focus tests with um, different button combinations of how to control powers and stuff like that. And that changed um, again, even until almost the beginning of 2004. Um, and uh, the hardest part of this was just the fact that the core of that concept, you know, I mean, other than playing heroes and, and being an RPG was this idea of combos, right? So that that's, that's the X-Men thing. It's like fastball special, right? Like, of course, everyone knows who the fastball special is. And it's it, um, it's easy to just spout that out and just say, oh, yeah, like just more of those. They combine and, and you go through the comics and like I went through a lot of comics trying to find places where where people, you know, where characters had combined their powers in an interesting way. Um, and they're in there. But, the, you know, it's it's not like any arbitrary X-Men, like what, what happens if Nightcrawler combines their powers with Emma Frost? I don't know, you know, <laughs> you have to give it a, you know, uh, you know, clever name. Uh, um, so Extreme. from the very beginning was this idea of a combo button. You hit a, you hit a button, you know, you got all your punches and, and powers and all that stuff. And then you got just a button dedicated to combo and you hit it. And the thing happened was was kind of this anecdote that, that kept being told like okay we're gonna have this thing where you hit a combo and it'll be it'll pick a character nearby and do something or maybe the other character is gonna set something up and then you can actually do do something like okay you know I hit combo and ice I'm playing Cyclops and and uh, Iceman happens to be nearby and, and Iceman makes a big magnifying glass out of ice right and then I can shoot through it right that's that's it's a great story, um, but as a player experience, it's just like I hit a button and some stuff happens, and I don't know if it's gonna <laughs> like move me. I don't know if it's it's gonna make stuff explode. If I'm gonna shoot, like you know, there's so many unknowns as a player. So even if we had solved every issue of getting it working, it still would it still didn't feel like it was gonna head to a good direction for uh, characters. Uh, sorry, it's just for players to to have a good time with with combos. So. In the end, it was really about having players create their own combos, um, calling those out, giving bonuses when they took, you know, when they actually executed on it. And um, the button kind of eventually evolved into an ally button, which was, you know, call, call the characters over. And so oh, you can actually like, set up yeah. some um, some combos. So so that experience of like just figuring out the, the combat, um, the, the team stuff, there was also, we, you know, we had a really great guy that was doing a lot of AI and he did all these clever, super clever tricks to make things work. For example, uh, did you know that each of the X-Men would pick a section of the screen to hang out on? And then one of the other enemies would go over and say, you know, so like, you know, I'd be fighting with Cyclops and then Wolverine would be like, all right, I'm going to hang out in the upper left of the screen. And Wolverine would kind of get on behind the scenes say, all right, enemy, I need somebody to fight with. And one of the, one of the enemies would go over there and then they'd fight. And then the further away they were from you, so if you're in the middle of the screen and they're way in the corner, they don't do much damage to each other. And the closer you get, the more damage they do to each other. Really? So there's all sorts of stuff going on to, to make big, long, drawn-out fights, you know, because the problem with any game with allies is they're either terrible and you resent them because they're, they're dorks and you wish they weren't even there, or they're so good at their job that the game just plays you and you don't have to do anything, right? Because, like... 
how cool would it be if you only get one quarter of the kills like that never felt good uh seriously to play uh so yeah yeah there's all sorts of tricks that need to be done to make a game like that work and uh i i can't say i even played two uh marvel ultimate alliance 2 to know whether that stuff made it over but i know that uh, uh x-men legends 2 and ultimate alliance 1 um were all basically exact same game with a different rapper uh yeah well it, it let him pack it with content right that was the amazing part i loved x-men legends 1 i mean that game when you guys released it was such a game changer for me and i remember i would even like on the message boards i had like my list of characters i wanted and i felt that very same excitement when ultimate alliance one came out and i it, it's not to say anything about the rest of the the games that came out because i i loved those games and i've played it but those are great i did not want to yeah those yeah. are so amazing they're, they're, they're such amazing games but there was something about x-men legends one and that four team four member team setup that just got me so excited it's like when i first picked up that flare I always say Flair, the Fleer Ultra cards from 1994. And I, and I discovered oh, these yeah. characters. I felt like it was a new discovery for the characters. But you know what I was really impressed with when I, when I played the game? You got Patrick Stewart. Yeah. So good. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get Patrick Stewart? I mean, I, I, I can surmise, but I'm, I'm curious. Uh, you know, it's funny. We, um, it's it's generally generally like no matter how good your development team is or how good an actor is, uh, you you never get really great results unless you have a really great casting director and voice director. Mm -hmm. And um, so we used uh, Chris Zimmerman, somebody that we'd used on a bunch of other products, uh, Soldier Fortune stuff like that. And she did like Scooby Doo cartoons and so many different uh, cartoons during the '90s. And see, she's so good, and so she's able to like get these people right and then when they when they get there and you're there to do recording like it, she can get just the best performance out of any any actor so like yeah getting getting patrick stewart was was so amazing i mean uh uh i had to look it up cedric smith did the uh, uh cartoon x-men right in the early yeah, 90s there yeah. and uh it was good it's a good voice um voice. so i just assumed we'd try and get him but uh in the end when we Come on, after the, after the first Brian Singer movie, it was like Patrick Stewart is Professor X. Come on, you know. I mean, till this day as well. And I'm, I'm also curious, did you ever try to get any of the other voice actors, especially since they had come back for Mutant Academy, for example? I looked to see if I could find anything um, about it because I couldn't really remember. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, really, in the end... Um, there's a lot of trust we put in that casting director. And, and obviously they were like, usually what you do is you sort of say, suggest who you'd like or, mm -hmm. or somebody that's sort of like this person. Right. Um, and uh, uh, you know, when you're, when you're kind of making requests for, for who to get for somebody. And so, you know, of course we wanted somebody that was sort of Patrick Stewart, like uh, mm -hmm. or, or Cedric Smith. Um, and in that case we could get him, but we, yeah, we, the, I was actually surprised just looking back to see that we didn't really end up getting anybody else from that uh, 90s cartoon. And I don't know if it was because people were busy. Um, I liked some of the voices better than others, to be frank, in the cartoon. But, uh, um, but there were a lot of really good um, voice actors in that. Um, I mean, we got, 
we got Steve Bloom to do uh, uh, Wolverine, um, who's in everything. Um, oh, yeah. So that some of the replacements are great. I, I thought we were, I, we did want to get Hugh Jackman. We, I, I think there was just really early talks and like, maybe we could do this and, you know, we could get a bunch of money, but uh, he was super red hot at the time. I, I think it was, it was really just a, a pie in the sky ideal thing at that point. Um, and, you know, in the end, they got Hugh Jackman for the X-Men Origins Wolverine game, um, which that really was that Ultimate Alliance one team that ended up making that game. So, you know, eventually we managed to get him uh, for something. But uh, but yeah, not for X-Men Legends. The voice acting was great. I mean, that was a large part of the game experience. Magma's voice was phenomenal. Really good, yeah. Emma's voice. How did you guys go about? I know you mentioned it, it, you had a great casting director, but right. did you have to listen to any audition tapes? And you're like, that's a that's a one because you got Emma's voice at a time where she really had just gotten this new voice with Morrison. And of course, she was in the animated series and Pride of the X-Men. And those voices were great, but you brought modern Emma into the game. Um, I know that was really just on our minds in terms of like that, you know, that most recent run with Emma. Um, I, you know, yeah, what happens usually is your, your cast director gives you a bunch of like clips, right? And they're, you know, like four or five and you, you know, you kind of get together in a room and you pick one out. I can't remember what this Emma had over, uh, um, I, I should have looked up, uh, uh, the actress name, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, I can't remember what she had that, uh, um, the other, uh, people didn't have, but uh, it it did come out really well. Again, I, I definitely credit Chris Zimmerman a lot, but in the end, um, I'll I'll give Rob G a lot of credit too. Uh, again, uh, co co lead, um, he uh, I think he really kind of knew how he wanted those characters to sound, and I think he made some great choices as well in terms of which direction to go for some of those. Yeah, well, Lee Baker, I believe, was Jean Grey. And holy smokes. I mean, she was so great as her. Yeah, yeah, it was a great. It was a great And movie. the Emma Frost was Bobby Holiday. I was going to say Bobby, Bo- Bobby Holiday, but I didn't want to. Because I know she came back in two. And I remember looking her up and having her say that. But um, yeah, it was... It was just such a great game and there was so much hype in the in the community at the time. Did you feel any pressure, you know, as you were getting closer? Like were you nervous? I know you've kind of, you know, hinted at that, but like how did you deal with that as you were approaching release date? Oh, just uh just just dealing with these names and and oh, no, it, ex- did the characters. Yeah, if you did them justice, everything you've put everything together. I, it's funny. It's, it's, it's something when you, you just go to make a game and you, you're just making a game and that's cool. And then, yeah, there's some, there's some sort of escalation that happens when you realize you're, you're reliving a certain property. Um, I mean, the company went through that with, with uh, star Wars and star Trek and all this stuff again and again. And in my case, you know, I got to go where the, I, I got to go to the X2 set where they were <gasps> filming it on my birthday. Right. I'm like meeting Patrick Stewart and Brian Singer's talking to me and stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, what, what an amazing time. Wait, 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 uh, wait. don't blow over right? that. What, what was the X2 set like? 
Uh, I mean, it was a set in Vancouver. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they had they had certain scenes set up. I think there was. I think they had a cerebro, uh, uh, the, the partial cerebro. They don't have a whole dome or anything yeah. like that. Um, and the Oval Office scene. I, I got to sit in the president's chair. The the little miniature half what three quarter scale Oval Office. Um, oh my gosh! Is the the opener right? Yeah, um, with Nightcrawler. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, such great scenes. And I get to read that script early. And so, the, yeah, that, that whole thing where I'm, you know, realizing we're not just making this, this uh, uh, thing that is uh, a property that people like, right, but, but is living and breathing and growing in other places as, as we're working, right? Um, yeah, that was, that was really amazing. And um, yeah, it's definitely, there's, yeah, I felt a lot of pressure in terms of like trying to make sure we are living up to these characters. And we, we would argue over what characters to have. It's like, oh man, somebody, you know, we had to deal with the fact that people were so in love with a character um, yeah. that we would have to ask questions like, well, what if, what if somebody doesn't want to play anybody but Wolverine? Like, cause there's probably some folks out there that did that. Um, is the game playable that way? Right. Like, so um, just trying to put us in the heads of of any fan of any character or 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 just specific groups or you know they like the old stuff they like the new stuff uh, to make sure that all could happen. I mean, uh, yeah, we were always trying to make sure that we we gave people enough of what they wanted to see, right? Um, so I, you know, in the end, I, I you can never feel you did everything for everyone, and I'm you know like I'm sure somebody said, oh, cell shading, I'm out, you know, whatever. I mean, it's uh, you know, I I don't. It's not like I don't care. Of course I care. Uh, but, you know, you, you do the best you can to try and, uh, you know, give everyone what they want to see. Absolutely. You you put something out there. You're not going to appease everyone. But here we are, like 17 years later, still talking about the game. So you did something right. And there's a huge, huge fan base for it still. Who was the hardest character to make? Hardest character to make? Ooh. Uh, you can say What's beast that? because we hate beast. So well, <laughs> I, beast hate is beast. one of them. Uh, I, 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 I just Hank took some notes McCoy, here and I wanted terrible. to make sure I remembered, uh, what I thought of. So, so Iceman in terms of like, just giving him everything that Iceman could do. And he, um, you know, a lot of what he does is he creates, you know, props, things out of ice, and then he's yeah. got to, you know, uses them that, uh, that had a technical challenge to it, right. That we had to, had to figure out and beast, was another one um, because I'm not shocked. Just, Hank McCoy is very difficult, <laughs> a very difficult personality. <laughs> well, the, <laughs> well, the funny thing about Beast is, is like you know, he could have just been a guy that just punched some stuff, you know, did, did some flips and kick stuff, and and um, so uh, actually being able to use some of the abilities that we had for Iceman, where you know you could double double jump right, and Iceman would go into the ice sled, and Beast yeah. was able to roll around and and you know, hit stuff. Um, even that extreme power is like calling in airstrike or whatever with his like <laughs> virtual computer and stuff like that. That was all really just hard stuff to go through. We had so many ideas for, for beast powers that either just didn't feel right. Or were just like, ah, it's another version of him kicking some dudes. Uh, you know, let's do better than that. So, um, so that was a really tough one too. And we had that beast. I mean, you know, again, we kind of want to make sure we at least oh, no. had that. We always have to have beast. You got to have beast, right? It's just, <laughs> you know, foundation right there. You got to have the, the classics. I loved sort of the small details you did with characters like Rogue, where she would kind of absorb someone's 
powers. Yeah. One of the, the enemy's powers. And also Iceman when he'd give other people the ice gloves to fight. Oh, right. Yeah. I forgot about yeah, that one. Yeah. No, those were, I, I'm telling you, Patrick, that was mind blowing for us X fans. We were having the time of our lives and we didn't even see it coming. And it was those little details that you can tell that you guys were so passionate about getting the story as as tight as it could be as a gameplay experience because that was never done before so we appreciate that thank you <laughs> appreciate it back uh, yeah no i yeah, there were a lot of in fact i i went through and i was trying to look at some of the powers um uh you know just going on wikipedia and all that stuff and and uh yeah there were powers like that that i just completely forgot we did you know there's just a lot a lot of parts that go into that sort of game and, and uh, um, you know, without going back and actually firing it up and playing it again, which I haven't done a long time. Uh, Why so, hasn't the game yeah. been re-released? I mean, I, I, I'm sure there's a million reasons, but I think it did oh. come out. Did it come out or I may be thinking of Ultimate Alliance. Did it not get a re-release on like Xbox Platinum? Uh, I don't know. Ultimate Alliance... I think it was oh, Ultimate Alliance yeah, that, that right. did, um, and that's that, actually, that was 360. I think it was it was that was on all the platforms. In fact, I think it was even like on PS2 and PS3. It was like really a, a, a really rich number of uh, uh, systems, um, and yeah, those early ones um, just might have been a little too focused on those older platforms, a little harder to port. I actually don't know. Um, I would love to see. Uh, this stuff, um, you know, brought back and, and playable. I, you know, I, I can always drag out my old PS2 or whatever. But uh, I actually, uh, I, I was, I was googling recently, just yesterday, and, and I found somebody that was trying to like remake it for PC in the Unreal Engine, you know. And yeah, you know, I guess he just, you know, somehow pulled the models out and had them <laughs> running around and doing stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I hope, I hope he gets somewhere with that, you know. <laughs> What was it like working with the CGI team? Is that what you call the the cut sequences? What was it like working with them? Or when you're laying out the script, do you flag parts that would be more cinematic versus gameplay? Uh, yeah, yeah. You have to be, I mean, you have to be really careful about that stuff um, because usually there's a very limited budget of minutes of, of yeah. cut scenes you can have, right? Um, for that pre-render stuff. And for X-Men Legends 1, I mean, we, you know, we, we kind of made it, nah, I wouldn't call it on the cheat, but it was definitely like, uh, we, we had way more resources in 2, because um, we had Blur Studios, right, able to do, a, a, I think they did, I think they did all the cutscenes and, uh, um, and the trailer as well. Um, Whereas in X-Men Legends, it was all in-house folk, um, um, getting that stuff together and like just just figuring out exactly what we wanted to show and, and specifically things we knew we couldn't do in engine or we couldn't do justice if it was, you know, right there on the screen with the, with the game characters. Um, there's just, a, there's just a lot of uh, uh, careful decision-making that has to go <laughs> to kind of like get the best bang for buck. Right. Yeah. Even, even the point where I know there's some, probably some story things that changed because of um, our ability to show it or not show it in, in, uh, in a cutscene. Um, yeah. Was there a specific character that surprised you during the development process? Were you like, wow, this character is actually a lot cooler 
you know, as I'm developing them, or I really like how this power set turned out. It's funny, you know, I never was a really big Iceman fan, actually, until X-Men Legends. Um, And uh, the moment I hooked up the the ice sled Mm -hmm. was really that that time where the the ice skating around. um, That was... That was the moment for me where I just wanted to play Iceman all the time. And every time I was testing, I had Iceman and the other characters I had to test. So, um, so yeah, yeah. That Iceman really did surprise me in that sense. Um, I, uh, I can't remember if they tried doing this. Uh, uh, I can't remember if they, did they make a game with more focus on Iceman? I just, I just feel like, he appeared Iceman more love uh, uh, could have, you know, who knows what sort of game that would be, you know, a game where Iceman had that much uh, uh, stuff. There was a, I think there was a game where there was just Wolverine and Iceman and Nightcrawler. somebody else. Huh? Nightcrawler. 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 Was it okay. the X2, like the bridge between X1 or X2 and X3? Right. And right, they kind of yeah. did that story bridge. So I don't know whether it was any good or not, but uh, I, I don't just, remember. Like it, it could be cool. <laughs> I'm sure it was great. So I'm curious about what happened with that leak on the website. Do, do you remember that? Like what happened there? I, I, yeah, you mentioned that. I, this, this is, this is disappointing, but I do not remember that. At oh! all. <laughs> I do not. Ouch. <laughs> it's so different, like the way the internet and things are today versus the early 2000s. But someone did post like all of the character reveals because you guys were slowly showing yeah. which characters were going to come out. And then someone was like, no, here's all of them. <laughs> God, you know. And that's where we saw originally Angel. And then, of course, it, it changed to Jubilee. And I was just if that happened today with Marvel. I mean, that that would be such a big thing. I mean, but also it wouldn't happen because I'm sure however they were able to hack it wouldn't even be a, a, a path to 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 that anymore. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, such a baby back then, like the baby. It was an awkward teenager. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I still like it wasn't like the Internet was new at the time, but I still think like everyone was bad at it <laughs> in a lot of cases. And, uh, and again, like this, this emphasis towards like careful, careful doling out of information and trying to get, you know, t- to give a couple of the character reveals to this magazine and a couple to this magazine that th- that was such a huge, important thing at the time that, uh, I don't know. I can't, I, there's still definitely careful managed release inform- information releases on, on modern games, but somehow that whole thing felt like it's, it was a bit of a relic of the, of the magazine time where you're trying to make deals with different websites or magazines to try and get an extra article here and there, you know? Was that one of the bigger marketing campaigns you worked on? Did you have a hand in marketing? Not really. No. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. Activision has a dedicated marketing team and, and they, they generally like figure out how they want to promote stuff. In fact, that's, you know, back when I said we were trying to uh, uh, come up with a concept that they, everyone could get behind, we want to make sure marketing was on there too. Right. They really were stoked about it. So, um, uh, so yeah, yeah. They, they, they sort of had their own thing, their own plan. Um, you know, that was something we, we went back and forth on, but, uh, but generally they, they, they ran that sort of thing. Um, I'd say that probably the only bigger marketing push I've been involved in is um, on the Dead Space series. So uh, that, you know, EA is, you know, <laughs> they, they eat that marketing stuff for breakfast. So they, you know, that's obviously uh, always, always a big deal with that. So the game obviously ends 
with a big cliffhanger of Apocalypse. Yeah. Why didn't you come back for X-Men Legends 2? Me personally? (laughs) Well, I... It was kind of like, you know, I, I was trying to build up to this point where I was project lead and I was like, great, now I've done this and now I can move out of Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> nothing against Wisconsin. In fact, I, I love going back there. Right. But but we had, you know, my, my wife and I, we had always wanted to move to you know the West Coast or the East Coast yeah. or something like that. And so that was kind of a good opportunity and a good time to kind of um, okay. um, reset a little bit, you know, and stretch our legs. So. Um, so that was, that was nice, but, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm super jealous though. Cause in the end, like, again, making those sequels can always be the most fun thing, right? Because, cause, uh, you know, we went through all the hard labor of making everything work and everything's broken and you just hate looking at the game for two, three quarters of the time you're working on it. Cause it just is broken in a hundred ways. And then make it a sequel where like you're, you could play it from day one and you're just adding stuff and making it look better and all that. Those are the best projects ever. Oh my goodness. It's always so good to do something like that. So honestly, I'm, I, I'm, <laughs> I always have a bit of regret that I wasn't around for those two for sure. Did you play X-Men legends too? I did. I did. I played both of the, both of the sequels. Uh, not all the way through though. I must admit okay. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't actually play them all the way. And did you play any of the ultimate Alliance ones as well? Because again, like, I feel like all these games that came afterwards is a reaction to X-Men Legends or in my head canon is a sequel to it. And obviously, you know, the Avengers became very prominent, Yeah, you know, with the, with the movies, but it all started with X-Men Legends. Yeah. It was really exciting. I mean, cause we, we really wanted to get, we, for, you could see what two was in a sense of a lot of the stuff that we wanted to do in one. Mm-hmm. Um, there were characters we wanted to get in. We wanted to have more stuff where you could play enemies and, you know, a lot of the stuff that made it into two. Um, we were better at simple things like menus, you know, they just weren't as clunky as they were in one. Right. Um, but yeah, ultimate Alliance was really where it opened up. And I don't know if I believe Activision's relationship with Marvel had expanded at that time. And then you, they were able to use shield and shield helicarriers and, and, you know, Avengers properties and all that stuff at the time when the, the movies were just starting to, you know, yeah. be, become uh, a big deal. Um, that was uh, that was really cool. And what's funny is when I played Ultimate Alliance 1, though, like, it's, it's kind of a stupid thing to mention. But in X-Men Legends 1, there's some code that I wrote when a character gets knocked back and hits a wall. that occasionally there's a bug, like a visual bug. Uh, that appears and i played ultimate alliance one and i saw that same bug oh. appear once and i'm like for a moment i'm sort of like ah and then i'm like well wait no that means code i wrote is still in here that's oh. great you know, it kind of felt good and i was like my you know some of that stuff was still still in there somewhere and and you know all that work that the whole team had put into was like carried on into those new properties um and then two and three were new new studios, and I don't believe they used our tech. Maybe some of the assets, but I, I don't actually know much about those products. What I don't think there was a three. Well, three is what uh, Team Ninja I- is doing. I don't think they're done yet. Uh, oh. Team Ninja is making an X, a multi- Ultimate Alliance 
three. Oh no! Oh I, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I, Ultimate Alliance three is out. Yeah, I'm sorry. It is out. Okay, I have I have yeah. played it obviously. Yeah. So, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I think you said X Men Legends three. I was like, Whoa. oh, X Men Legends three. Now, now I, I like, think what? I, <laughs> about, uh, Marvel knows I was like, where they. Me, you know, I need to go break the internet right now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. So when you look back on X Men Legends, what what are your thoughts? Ah, uh, I mean, it was. It was a really great thing to work on. Um, it was hard, um, but yeah, it's one. It's definitely a game that I, uh, I'm proud of what it accomplished. And frankly, again, like like I said, I'm a little sad. I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, didn't stick around for those sequels. But at the same time, kind of knowing it paved the way for this series is, you know, does my heart good to, to know that wow. happened, right? Um, but it's. I still look at it and I think of all the things I could have accomplished. Like, uh, um, like just for example, the fact that. It's still like there's there's more that I wish I could have done with uh, switching characters and really giving you incentives to do that. So it, like, you know, um, even just in the sense of, of um, you know, encouraging you or giving you rewards for like, you know, not just playing one character. Oh, I'm Wolverine. And there's some other clowns who hang out with me. Right. That, that you know, <laughs> I, I switch around and then, you know, maybe I can build up some momentum or some other power stuff. Like there's always these things I wish I could have done. So um i guess that's the case of any game i ever work on right there's always something you know that i like ah if only this were better so uh but i mean at the same time you know you're you're like contacting me and telling me you want to talk about this this cool thing that i got to work on a long million years ago and that's always feels great <laughs> i literally listeners i stalked patrick on twitter hey wow <laughs> i was like like i i tweeted at you i was like wait you need to follow me so we could chat <laughs> on on dms all right and, yeah i remember that and i probably sent you like four emails so thank you so much for even being available and talking about it because this game has resonated with a lot of us and we still want to see an X-Men game like this today. You know, when team Ninja did ultimate Alliance three, they had some X-Men, but it wasn't until they did their X-Men DLC. Did we finally get, you know, Jean and other characters. And I think that's just made us more hungry to see another X-Men. Like a real X-Men game. one. Yeah. Like the way you guys did it. You took decades worth of history. And even talking about the stuff that didn't make it in. You guys understood the X-Men. And you gave us a kick-ass X-Men story with great characters. Thanks. Well, except for Beast. I'm sorry. Except for Beast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it, the inside joke with uh, our listenership is I hate Beast. And I have dedicated an entire episode of why Beast is the worst X-Man nice. ever. So our philosophy is we love every X-Man, every character, except for Beast. <laughs> so just so you know, it's just a little, little joke. <laughs> um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about or touch base on? Uh, geez, no, no. I mean, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's fun to keep working on new stuff and cool stuff. But honestly, uh, I, I always... I don't know. I always dream about like just just you know pulling up a, a screen someday and trying to make something with that same sort of combat, a superhero kind of type of experience. Maybe not X Men with that, you know. So I don't know. It's always it always feels good to hear about the things that went well and uh, to try and recreate it someday is still sort of a dream of mine, you know. Patrick, if Marvel came to you or video game developer came to you and they wanted you to do X Men Legends three, would you do it? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I'd be on board. <laughs> so 
Patrick, tell me what's the best part about working in video games? Hmm. Well, I'm doing the thing that I'd probably be doing in my spare time anyway. And uh, I, I am doing that in my spare time. anyway. <laughs> so, Honestly, uh, uh, just working with really awesome people is, is so energizing. Um, in fact, even, you know, COVID times have been tough for everybody. Right. But that, that like being in the office with people that are like, make great art and like, check out this animation and all that stuff. Like, um, you know, that sort of experience working in games is, is so energizing. You know, you come, you know, you, you leave for the day sometimes and you just feel so good about how cool everything is that you're, you're working on and all that. So that's, that's great. And, and honestly, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard gig, right? So honestly, I, I'm, I'm glad that those things keep bringing me back. I see people kind of drop out of the industry sometimes and, and it's, you know, maybe they just don't take the same joy in it as some. Uh, and I guess I'm fortunate to be able to do that, uh, to, to kind of still enjoy, you know, doing my work every day. How has COVID impacted the video game industry? I feel video games are having a huge moment. Of all the industries that took a massive hit, video games seem to have been doing very well, exceptionally well during these very tough times. Well, they've, uh, um, it's, I mean, it's been hard for everyone, right? But uh, I mean, yeah, we're in an industry where we're very fortunate to be able to, to work remotely. You know, I just, this, this is my work machine behind me, right? So I just, I just turn around and I, I do my personal stuff here and then I'll turn around and do work uh, for the day um, on this other one. And uh, that's, that's great, right? To be able to work on Zoom and, and share everything and, and, you know, Slack and all the, all the classic tools. Um, but that said, um, you know, it's, we're just not as efficient as we could be. And uh, um, I, I think it's, it is tough that, as time moves forward, I think games that were really close to shipping, you know, like uh, Ghost of Tsushima and, uh, you know, other games that shipped during during the, the pandemic time, um, they managed to actually get all the way to shipping um, yeah. without really being able to go in the office um, much, if at all. It was amazing, right? But the only thing I would say is that um, it's, it's just not very efficient for exchanging ideas and you don't get that energy, right. That I was yeah. talking about of, uh, of dealing with people directly and kind of knowing what's in their head. Um, so as time moves forward and games are in their earlier phases, right. If they're in the first half where they might not have all the concepts nailed down, um, I think that's getting harder and harder. So I think that honestly, you know, and it, it, at the point where we're able to go back to the office, I think everyone's really excited about, you know, yeah, I gotta, I gotta actually drive, <laughs> you know, half an hour to go to the office now and, and, you know, go through traffic and all that stuff, but it's going to be so great. Cause we'll be, we'll be that much more productive and stuff. Um, because again, like if, if we had to do another year of this, I think games, games would be having more trouble is my point. Interesting. Uh, so okay. just because it's again, those earlier phases are just having a lot more trouble uh, in, in products that are not as established as something that's almost done. What's one video game that everyone should play. Oh, wow. What should play? That question just came to me. I'm sorry. Wow, dang. Uh, I'm just curious. What should everyone play? Well, you know what? I'll just, I, I won't even say, I'm like, I, I, it seems like one of those, like, I should come up with some forgotten, you know, game that no one's ever played and, and like drop some wisdom on there. And I can't think <laughs> of any like that. 
No, I I've been enjoying so much of Persona Five. Uh, that's my it's an RPG. It's total nerdy Japanese, you know, teenagers in school and all this stuff fighting demons. Um, and yet, there's um there's a real joy that they have in terms of how everything is presented. So like even if you're not into the gameplay, um, just going in and they're going to a menu, just looking at a darn menu or seeing some information get popped uh, pop up is done with such great style and joy and, and, and jazz. It's, I don't know. It's just like, I, I just really enjoy being in that world and, and experiencing the way that game presents itself. And so for me, it's really just, a, a was, I don't know, just get, gave me a lot of energy about the sort of work that I do and the sort of things I can enjoy and get out of the game. That's maybe not what I typically expected where you're, you know, you feel powerful. I don't know, whatever you, whatever you play a game to, to do, right? Um, that was kind of different. That's such a wonderful response. Patrick, where can fans connect with you? Uh, I guess probably the best place is on Twitter. Um, <laughs> uh, that's uh, Patrick underscore Lippo, L-I-P-O, uh, you know, at that. Uh, <laughs> not, not Patrick Lippo without an underscore because I can't log on to that version of me. There's only one Patrick Lippo in the world, but for some reason I can't get into that account anymore. So it's got like 11 followers. It's not that bad. I'm not that bad. I got, uh, and then, yeah, if you want to check out auto fire, it's auto space fire on itch.io. So, uh, you can always check that out. It's free to free to check out because I don't think it's good enough to ask money for yet. So you can always check that out too. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us today. I am the uncanny day spring and I am signing off.